Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to uh, Luke 3. We're going to look at this next section from uh, the life of Christ, as it were, um, and uh, follow along as I read from the beginning of the chapter, down a few paragraphs. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of, uh, of Eturia and Traconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and uh, Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, a, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be, filled with, shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized to him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of, those, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What, shall, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required, he told them. And then soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't, exhort, don't extort money or don't excuse people falsely. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with these words, and with many words, John, many other words, uh, words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. A little bit further down, just a couple of more verses, if you don't mind. When all the people were being baptized, John, Jesus, was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the bodily form like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is God's word. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's the only guide we have. It's the only infallible way of life that, that you have left us with, and I pray that you would give us understanding. It, our hearts do not easily grasp what you tell us because we are but children, and we are ignorant, and we are, uh, and we are rebellious. And I pray, Lord, that you would cut through all of that darkness to get to us, to change us, to mold us, to shape us, to renew us uh, for yourself and for this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I had my kids home um, through Christmas, some of my kids home through Christmas, and then everybody was home uh, as, it, as it related to the memorial service. And one of the things we found ourselves doing, um, we, you know, we, we, watch, we watch movies, and movies create conversation, and, and we, we love all that, and art and culture, and, and, and my kids, you know, vibe on all that in their various places. And so one of the things we, we started, uh, I don't know what got us talking about this particular subject, but we were, ta- we were talking about, you know, what celebrity would you like to spend a day with? You ever have that conversation? Um, and we were, we were sort of, sort of now we don't know any of these people. You know, you know, and I was curious to say because that was the question of the a question in the room. What celebrity would you want to spend? You know, and and uh, and and some some were like, oh yeah, I want to spend time with that person. You know, and, and it's just curious. Some of it's curious to know. You know, part of the conversation is curious to know what makes them think that. In other words, you hear not only you discover what celebrity they find fascinating, but then you discover something about them. You know, why, you know, and some of those, just to sort of, you know, alleviate some of your curiosity, you know, it'd be great to spend, spend a day with Tom Hanks, right? Who wouldn't want to spend, spend an afternoon with Tom Hanks? Nicest man. Part of why I don't believe this movie he's in is because he's not a curmudgeon. He's in a movie called A Man Called Otto. It's about a, a grump, a curmudgeon. I mean, he's a, he acts it well, but nobody believes that. Nobody, but now if, now if Harrison Ford were the, then I would think, then you're like, in the end, you're like, oh my gosh, he becomes this wonderfully kind and generous man. What an amazing change. You know, that's, I don't want to spend a day with Harrison Ford. You know, Keanu Reeves came up. People wanted to spend, a couple of my kids wanted to spend the day with Keanu Reeves. And I, I don't know much about Keanu Reeves. All I know is Bill and Ted's Most Excellent Adventure and John Wick. Those are these are the you know in other words and and here's the thing here's the thing we often you know we we you know and, and my and my kids especially when it came to to Keanu Reeves they go you know dad you should know this we said you, you, you're making your assessments about a person based on a character he plays that's not him I mean he might bring some of him to the character all, all actors do but that's not him you got to you know I said well I haven't read it oh my gosh and Tyler was saying I've read all kinds of stuff about Keanu Reeves this guy is this guy might know Christ this guy might he's got such an amazing and he goes on and tells me all these things. And, and then I started going well maybe yeah maybe I do want to spend an afternoon with with Keanu Reeves in terms of the way he relates to people and this sort of thing you know and 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 and, and uh, Hugh Jackman came up of course, the women wanted to spend time with Hugh Jackman in the room. And I go, yeah, I know. Hugh Jackman, he's so dreamy. But I, wouldn't, I would like to spend today with Hugh Jackman. He seems like a fun guy. And, and Ryan Reynolds seems like a hilarious personality to spend some time with. But, you know, all of this, why, why do we want to spend, why would I, you know, now I'm never going to get to spend time with any of these people. But why would we want to? 
It's because what I it's because we discover something about him that someone who has spent time with him knows. All of the information, all, all the articles that were written about, that my son had read about Keanu Reeves, all the things that people heard about Tom Hanks or, 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 or Hugh Jackman, it isn't based on the characters they portray. It's based on the information that, they've, that, that the people in the room had gathered about all of those people from reliable sources of people who had met them. And in this situation, we see Jesus, we see information is given to us about Jesus, not because we've met him personally in the context of his ministry physically, but we're, we're trusting in the reliable evidence in the witness testimony of people who have met him. What do they say about him? You know, it's one thing about what somebody says about themselves. I can tell you I am the nicest guy in the world. I can tell you that, I, uh, that I'm hilarious. I am hilarious. And I can tell you that, you'll, that if you spent the afternoon with me, you would have a great time and that we'd, 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 make, we'd paint the town. But, it's, but you, I could be lying to you. But now talk to the people who know me. Talk to the people who have run into me. The first person after his mother who met Jesus was John the Baptist. Jesus was, Jesus was just conceived in his mother's womb. And she, and she went to meet her cousin, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, who was just a little bit further along in the process. And it says that when they came together, when Mary and Elizabeth came together and met each other, it says, Elizabeth says, as soon as I saw you, as soon as, as, soon as we came together, the... The baby inside of me leapt for joy, leaped for joy. John met his cousin Jesus. And that experience changed him. It, it evoked a response of joy, of, of, of leaping, of, of, of changing his condition. Even as an, a prenatal infant. Is that possible? Scripture says it is. I know a couple of scientists would tell you the same thing. What does John say now that he's an adult, though? It's one thing for a child. What do they know? What, is an, what does a prenatal infant know? What is his leaping for joy? What, what possible testimony, how reliable can a child be when they meet Jesus for the first time, who's also prenatal at the time? Well, now let's, re, let's advance the, the video 30 years later. What's John saying about him? And that's what we have here. Luke found that guy, found that testimony, and puts it here on the page of the Scripture to tell us who, what Jesus is like. And we see some stuff about him. The, ver the first thing that sort of leaps off the page here, which we'll come back to as we talk about it, is that John says, there's somebody coming that I'm only, I, can't, I am not worthy to even untie his shoes. I am not worthy to, I'm not worthy. He, he is so great. He is so powerful. I am not worthy to, 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 and you think what I'm doing is great? The people, the response he's giving to these people, the response that, that the, the reason that he evokes this response is because the people are going, is maybe John's the guy. Maybe John's the Messiah we've been waiting for. Maybe John's the game changer. 
Maybe John, he's doing, he's doing a big thing. He's changing lives. We're seeing life. We're se- people are co- gathering around him. He's got a powerful message. He seems, and, you know, John was, John was a quirk. I mean, and I, I, I don't mean that to his disrespect, but he was, a, he was an oddity. He's living in the wilderness. He's dressed in, he's dressed in, in, in uh, weird clothes. He's, he's got a belt wrapped around him. He's, he's eating strange food. And, and, and ta- calling people broods of vipers. I mean, he, he, he see, you know, not, I'm not sure I would have wanted to spend time with John. But people did. People were drawn to this man and to his message. And they start thinking, maybe he's the guy. And John says, no. If you think this is something, wait until you meet the guy. Wait until you meet the one who I am not, I can't even untie his shoes. We, the, nothing can get in the way of this guy. Nothing can get in the way of the message that he is bringing. Not, so much so that it, nothing can get in the way. We're going to lower the mountains. We're going to raise the valleys. We're going to smooth the path. We're going to make it straight. If it's a wavy, we're, nothing can get in the way of this man. Because... What he has to say is important, life-changing and vital. And the message, the message that, he's, that he's bringing is, in this context, I think from this, these pages, from this story, is to tell us that repentance, or, is that there is power in repentance. There is joy in favor. And there's a cost that seals the deal. The power of repentance, the joy of favor, and the cost that seals the deal. John was preaching a a message of, what does it say here? The the, the phrase that stands out is, John came. You know, the the other factor that that that, that you should see here, that little tedious section that I struggled my way through for you, with all the names and the tetrarchs and the, and the, and the details. Uh, there's a sense where Luke's trying to say, as he recounts the testimony of John, if this is hard for you to believe, I'm giving you enough information to go back and look it up. I'm not telling you something that's not, uh, that, that's not verifiable. This is verifiable historical truth. It operates in the context of historical annals. Tetrarch after Tetrarch after Herod after this or in this region and this person in this way. This is what, and as a matter of fact, it's, it, he gives us the political setting. He gives us the administrative setting and he gives us the religious setting. It was, time, it was during the time of, of, of the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And then there's this, and then a familial setting. And my dad had me and I was living in the wilderness. You know, John, Luke says he's living in the wilderness. So it's not, he's trying to verify the testimony of what he's saying is true. And he says, here's the ministry that John was given. A ministry, a preaching, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he says that that, it, it, John, uh, Luke describes that as going on, that, that was, he was proclaiming good news. The good news, the powerful good news of Repentance. Of repentance. What, what, what is repentance? Repentance is, is to turn away from 
my old sin. To repentance in, in, in some ways could be literally understood as you know, the, the word saying that, uh, that repentance is agreeing with God about the, about the nature of my sin. Agreeing, agreeing with the nature of my sin and the, and the nature of its consequences. That repentance that I have to get to a place of repentance that leads to forgiveness. Here's the, why that's good news. The good news is that everything that you hate about yourself doesn't preclude you from forgiveness. That's good news. Because most people walk around, and most people walked around then thinking that the worst parts of themselves disqualified them for forgiveness. Forgiveness, to have your record expunged, to, to have it not be true of you any longer. That the skeletons in your closet don't have to count. That's good news. That's why people were coming to John, because up, and, up until then, the religious leaders were, the, the, the religious system of the day and the religious system of most days, the religious system of the world, the religious system of every other religion apart from Christianity is quid pro quo. Do enough good to overcome enough bad, all will be well. Thing is, thing is, nobody's honest about that situation. They're not honest externally. You know, when people, when people live in the world, that quid pro quo religion, which is every other religion except Christianity, every other religion says, do these number of things and then you will achieve the number of blessings or the number of, of nirvanas or the number of, of uh, you know, heavenly experiences, whatever, whatever that quid pro quo is. Do an, it's a carrot and a stick. Do enough and it'll, get, and it'll move you forward to get the to get the benefit of it. But the, the problem is, you and I as humans, we can't do enough good to outweigh the bad. Not if you're honest. Plenty of ways to be dishonest about it. Dishonest about, you know, and, and that system, that system, uh, it, it ingrains, it, it encourages dishonesty. That kind of religion discourages it encourages dishonesty. The reason that it encourages dishonesty and blindness is because, because you know the end point. My good has to outweigh my bad. So, because I want the thing at the end, which is whatever that is, eternal life or, or a blessed existence or, or a legacy or, or a sense of human wholeness or to live my best life or blah, 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 blah whatever the, whatever, fill in the end point for the, uh, of, what, of what religion and what quid pro quo is offering. But, but because I know the end, I have, to, I have to make my life fit that mold. And so the only way my life fits that mold, because if you're honest with yourself, you're a pretty broken human being. And, you've, and your closet's got a lot of skeletons in it. And there are things you've forgotten you've done that are skeletons in there. You ever go, you know, and this happens, this happens when you, this happens at, at death. It's one of the places it happens. I don't know when it happens to you, but there are times where death makes you look back in your closets. Somebody's death makes you look back, or, or your death, or as you're, and some of it's actually physically looking through closets, and you go, and you pick up the picture, you go, yeah, I remember that. It makes me think of something else deep down that, oh, man, I'd forgotten I'd done that. I'd forgotten I was that. I'd forgotten that happened. 
You talk about some brutality or injustice that you enacted or were a part of. And it always brings up some level of brokenness you've forgotten about because the skeletons in, there are tons of things that you have that brokenness. And I don't want it. And every other religion says, this is how you get forgiven, is more good outweighs the bad. And that system is broken. That system's impossible to live by. And the good news, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. They know, everyone in the world knows the system's broken. Now, the ones that think they don't, the, th- the ones that look like they don't know it are people who are living in the blindness, people who are living in the denial. And John comes along and says, you know, you can be actually forgiven. You can be actually forgiven. And the way that you're actually forgiven is to own up to the dark parts, repent, agree about the dark parts, about the broken places, about the skeletons in your closet. Because there is someone, there is someone who is yet to come, whom I'm here to smooth out the way. He's coming who will forgive you for what's in your closet. That's good news. I can can have done something horrifically wrong. I can have betrayed. I can have have brought shame to myself and to the people around me. And someone will forgive me for that? That is a powerful, that is a powerful reality. Have you ever experienced... You ever, had a, you, you ever have someone in your life, you ever do something horrible to someone and they didn't treat you with the rejection you deserved? You ever done something amazingly abrasive to someone and they, and they forgave you and they, and they still loved you you ever been so ugly in a in a situation or to someone and the and and the and the people that saw that ugliness and there was maybe there was a person or a group of people who saw the ugliness that you exhibited and they said I I forgive you and I love you anyway as ugly as you are That's happened to me a number of times in my life more times than I care to acknowledge. And there are people in my life who have, who have been the grace of God to me in those situations and have, and have loved me beyond my ugliness. And it is freeing. And it is, and it is empowering. It is empowering because that kind of love and forgiveness generates within me and within anyone a sense, a sense of a sense of vital change, a sense of hopefulness, a sense of I want I want to live beyond my ugliness. I want to I want change to occur 
It exudes more honesty. Remember how I said that the quid pro quo model of religion doesn't exude honesty, it exudes dishonesty? Whereas the gospels, the gospel truth, the, the Christian model of how I, how I connect with, with Christ, how I connect with God, tells me that if I own up to who I am and I come to him with forgiveness, that, and then he will forgive me, regardless of how ugly, he already knows how ugly I am and how, and how abusive I possibly can be. He already knows the depths of my darkness. And he says, just come and agree with me. Just come and say you see what I see. Just come and admit what you're capable of and what you and 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 be clean through forgiveness. That exudes honesty. Because now, and it's true with any of those people I'd mentioned, now I'll I'm I'm likely to share some some more deep darknesses with those people on my way out, on my way to, or, or on my way to getting help because I know that they're not put off by the ugliness. That repentance leads me to an honesty about who I am and the trouble that I'm in and that God is not put off by my rebellion he is not afraid of how dark or ugly I can be. But he says, uh, come to me with it and I will forgive you. And that will change a person. I'll forgive you for the things that you, of which you are culpable. If you come admitting, and they would come, and they would come admitting their culpability. And, what, what are the, and then what are they telling them? What are they telling them as they go, you know, as they go through there? You know, let, John says, here's your forgiveness. Now go bear the fruit of it. Now go do the thing. You know, you've been forgiven. He's saying that forgiveness, forgiveness is when you have been forgiven, when you come admitting what your, uh, your culpability about your life, the skeletons in your closet, the stuff that you thought kept you from getting forgiven, the stuff that you thought was disqualifying you from being clean. I'll make you clean and you can be forgiven and now go bear the fruit of it. Now go, and the, so they say, well, what do we do? We don't, what does it mean, bear the fruit? And so he's giving him practical illustrations. He says, you know, go, don't, if you've got stuff, share it. Be, share. What, I mean, it's the same stuff here. All of these things. What, what is it? He, when you're, John said, you know, what should we do? How do we bear the fruit of repentance? He says, if you've got food, share it. If you've got clothes, share it. If you're, if you're a tax collector, don't lie about how much you, you need to collect. You know, only collect what's required. If you're, if you're a soldier, you know, don't, 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 don't accuse people. Don't be brutal. Don't, don't, uh, don't exhort things from people. Don't, don't try to wrestle, you know, things from them that they don't. But it, you're, it's the same stuff you tell a child. Don't, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. It's, this, is, this is what bearing the fruit is. Just bear the, just bear the fruit of that kind of thing. And John says, and we symbolize that process through an external cleansing. It was a mechanical external cleansing. He says, but somebody's coming. I'm doing some external work here. 
I'm doing some outside work. I'm, I'm helping you understand. I'm giving you a message that if you own up to who you are, if you own up to how culpable you are in this life and you're forgiven, it will lead, if you, if you bear the fruit of it, if you let it go from the seed that it is in your heart to the fruit of it is in your life, it, will, it, it does produce change in you. But, and, 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 we're gonna, and I'll cleanse you. You'll have a cleansing externally with water that's very mechanical, but somebody's coming that's going to do some real work. The mechanical change, the mechanical change can lead to a spiritual change, an organic change, a, a, an internal depth of change where, where only spiritual and spirit and fire can work on that. Water, externally, be kind, good. Don't steal, don't lie. What was it they told me when I was in youth group? Don't, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do. That's funny, <laughs> but that's religion. That's religion. It's external. Repentance is powerful. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. To be forgiven, to be set free from a history you can't change to be set free from a shame that you've brought on yourself and on the people around you through forgiveness. It's powerful. But John says, what I'm talking about is very mechanical. What he's talking about is spiritual. It's internal. It's organic. And it's rooted. The power change comes the way that his change comes. We see it in his own baptism. It says that when Jesus was baptized... He didn't need any mechanical change. But what he did need was something that was going to empower him for the rest of his ministry. Jesus was about to go through, was about to start his ministry. And at the start of his ministry, he's, you know, we, what, what Luke, what we don't know, if we're just reading this book for the first time, what we don't know is what was Jesus about to go through. Now, if you've read the Bible and you've read any of the stories of Jesus, you know what he was about to go through was hell. He was about to be rejected. He was about to be threatened for his life. He was about to, be, he was about to go through a, a wilderness experience where the devil was going to, was going to strip him down and, and bear open his soul. He was about to go through such an amazing amount of... of and then, and then that doesn't even talk about the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's, where he's tempted to run from the coming threat of the wrath of God for the sins of the world. And, and, and what does he need? What does he need to buoy him through all of these potential times of suffering, these potential places where he could blow it, where he could maybe not lose his mind through the process, where he could, what would buoy him? What would, what would produce in him the fruit of an organic change, of an organic relationship with God? What would, what possibly could build him up and, and empower him in those times of trial. His father knew. His father knew. And his father shows up and says, you're my son. And I love you. And I am so incredibly 
pleased with you. Jesus had not done one miracle. He had not given one sermon. He had not, he had not healed nary one person. He had done nothing. And his father says, I love you and I'm pleased with you. I find you favorable. What was going to buoy him through suffering? What was going to give him the power to overcome the strain and the temptations that he was going to be facing? What would produce in him the fruit of righteousness that was necessary for him to be the sacrifice that was required? To know in those times of suffering, my father loves me and is pleased with me. My father finds me to be favorable. My father is for me, not against me. My father said, my father said, the only other time we see this, the only other time the father said this to him, he said it to him twice. He said it to him here at the beginning of his ministry. And he said it to him at the end of his ministry, right before he goes into Jerusalem to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, to take to the week, the, right before the week of Easter, the week of Passover in Jerusalem. He's on the mountain of transfiguration and he's with his disciples and the father, the father comes down out of heaven and lands on the mountain in the presence of Jesus and his friends and he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Follow him. Because mm -hmm. he's about to go through hell again. What produces Righteousness what produces holiness, what produces a sense of, of energy and passion, what produces an overcoming of difficulties of suffering is to know that you are loved and favored by God. It's the only, it's the only undeniable motivational power. Everything else will fade away quickly. In, and in sinful creatures, even that fades away. But it's the only thing that, it's the only thing that has the power to lead me to that place. Self-motivation, self-will, altruism, love of man. You know, here's the thing. <laughs> Other motivations uh, that, that, that lead me to, a, to overcoming struggles and overcoming temptation, a uh, my love for humankind. You know, humanitarian well-being. You know, the problem is, most of the time, I don't love humankind. Most of the time, I'm pretty angry with humankind. And I can prove that if you drive with me on the highway. Well, okay, so that's not a good motivator because that fails most of the time. And it's, if it's failing on the highway, it's going to fail any other time too. So how about my love for God? That's a motivator. We love God. You know, my love of God would lead me to a sense of wanting to please him and to want to honor him. The thing is, though, I kind of don't love God all the time. Most of the time, I don't love God. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in, I'm not, I got to get to the place where loving God and having a relationship with him, is, it matters. The only thing, and so that breaks down. And when I sin, basically when I sin, I'm saying, I love me more than I love God. I love what I want more than what he wants. The only thing that doesn't break down as a motivational structure is God's love for me because it never changes. He says, I love you yesterday, today, and forever. 
Unchangeable. How do you get that kind of thing? What does it cost to get that? One, one of my, one of my uh, seminary professors used to say, he says, we, if, you're trying to, if you're trying to pay the cost, if the, if the cost to seal that deal, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to pay that cost, that we are far too poor to buy our way into that. Because it takes the blood of Jesus to pay it. Jesus' blood is the only thing that pays for that. The blood of Jesus is the cost to get you and me that kind of power of repentance and joy of God's favor that will overcome the sinfulness, the, the strain, the, the, the difficulties that we're facing in our lives, the fear, the anxiety, the fact that he looks at us and is not, and is not horrified by our ugliness because of what Jesus did at the cross. And here's the thing, when Jesus, when, 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 when John points out, people came, people, soldiers and tax collectors and, uh, and, and families and, uh, and people who had stuff and people who didn't have stuff are coming to John the Baptist going, I've got skeletons and I need to be forgiven. I thought I was disqualified. What, is, how, what do I got to do? How does this work out for me? And people are coming, owning up to the things they've done wrong. Tax collectors are saying, I've been, I've been, I've been hoarding money. I've been collecting more than it's worth and making a mint. This is fantastic. But I feel guilty about that. I feel bad. And I feel I don't want to be disqualified. And John says, well, well don't, you know, good. And you're forgiven as you come owning that. And now go, don't do that anymore. That's the stuff, the sin I know, the, the, the places I know about in my heart, I surrender easily. Now, John was telling everybody about the problem that, of humanity. And he told Herod, the problems that he was having, he said, you really should own up to the fact that you, you're in a relationship with a woman that isn't your wife, and that's not a good deal. And John probably said it differently than I just said it. And then Harry goes, you know, you know, we're going to add one more to that. If, you, if you're finding fault with me in this way and in many other ways, let's find, let me give you one more. And so it got him sent to prison and ultimately beheaded in the process. We don't, the stuff we're not aware of, I don't like admitting about me. And I'm not the only one because you don't like it either. And I know this because some of you have been ugly with me when I tell you this. A couple here and there. You get ugly when you're told stuff that you think that you're not aware, the blind spots. You don't want to admit the blind spots because you don't know you have them. And so our natural response is, what? no, what are you trying to, wait? you know? Here's the thing. I used, I used to really kind of despise in my heart. You wouldn't know this outwardly, but I used to kind of despise high-maintenance people. You know what I'm talking about? High-maintenance people? Everybody's got them. You're probably married to one of them. Um, I used to despise those kind of people until until it occurred to me until it occurred to me in a conversation that somebody was having across the room they didn't know I was hearing, and my name came up as a high maintenance person. <laughs> what? What? High ma- How in the what? And I've known I'd known these people for years, and no one told me. Because they love me through my ugliness. 
And they forgave me through that process. Now, I still kind of despise high-maintenance people too, but <laughs> even since then, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm, ch- I'm, I'm changing, but, I, but, but now that I, but, but then and years now, I, I, I discover I am one. I am one. And now, at the time, it was repulsive. Now it's, now I discover, oh my goodness, I need, I, need the, I need the forgiveness of Jesus. I need the favor of God in my life to, to change me in this way. And it, and it comes at not my cost, but his. He paid for this to make me right, to earn my forgiveness. And when that lands on me in my heart, this is where the spirit, when that lands on me in a spiritual way, it's a it's a it's a burning that it's a burning that that cauterizes the wound but also stimulates a desire to to love him back and to give back for all that he's done for me that's who Jesus is that's who John says he is is that good news for you do you want that? Do you want that kind of relationship? That, that the, only, the only kind of power source that's going to change you and that is helpful and is to be forgiven of your ugliness and to be told by God, I love you regardless. Not because you deserve it, but because he deserves it and because he paid for it. And if you're in him by faith, you get it too. And you can become my favored one. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you make us your favored children as we trust you uh, by first believing the worst of ourselves. um, That it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't something I'm not capable of, but it, it, it was in fact true. I've become my worst nightmare and I'm full of shame and I'm full of fear and I'm full of regret. But you, you tell me in the person of your son and in the, in the ministry of your gospel that it doesn't have to be my story. My story can be forgiveness. It can be being delighted in by you. It can be powerful and joyful and free because you paid for it. In Jesus' name we pray.